You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on this 13th day of December, 2013. Welcome to episode 289 of The Corbett Report podcast, Solutions, Nullification. Now, it's a sad truism that I'm sure my regular listeners don't need to be told that every single week, new, repressive, tyrannical legislation is passed by legislatures literally all around the world. Canada's ruling party is responding to widespread dissent, with controversial legislation this week passing Bill C-309 that will ban citizens from concealing their faces at protests. Japan's upper house of parliament has approved a state secrets law by a vote of 130 to 82, despite fierce protests from the public and opposition parties against the bill. The law grants the government more authority to implement harsher penalties to those who leak sensitive secrets. It will enforce prison terms of up to 10 years for the leaking of sensitive information on issues ranging from defense, diplomacy, counterintelligence, and counterterrorism. Today, the Chinese regime passed a new set of laws legalizing the removal of online messages and registering the identities of web users. Internet providers of both mobile and computer platforms will now need to collect their customers' true identities. This is already in place for most fixed internet contracts, but only about 70% of mobile-based agreements. Providers are also asked to delete posts that are deemed illegal. They must also keep a log of those posts and report it to authorities. This is already being done by China's internet police, but the new laws now create a legal obligation to service providers as well. Just signed into law by the president, H.R. 347 gives federal agents sweeping powers to arrest and bring felony charges against citizens engaged in protests where the Secret Service is present. The controversial new bill allowing the GCSB to spy on New Zealanders is just minutes away from becoming law. It all began, of course, with an internet mogul called Kim.com, and it ends with the government being able to snoop on your emails and social media pages. As I say, this is happening all around the world, every single week, week after week, without exception. And what's worse, it seems to pile on each other so that one ludicrous piece of legislation piles on the next and on the next, and it gets more and more crazy with each iteration of this insane game of merry-go-round. And the question becomes, what can we possibly do about it? In fact, as all of this legislation continues to mount and more and more ridiculous laws are placed in the books, it seems more and more inevitable that, well, we must simply comply because now this is the law of the land. After all, what else can we possibly do? Virginia votes to refuse NDAA. Although Congress approved this year's National Defense Authorization Act, lawmakers on another level continue to find faults with its nasty detainment provisions. Virginia is now the latest state to consider laws that nix some of the NDAA. When U.S. President Obama signed his name to the NDAA for fiscal year 2012, he authorized the U.S. military to detain and torture anyone on Earth, Americans included, without charge. Opposition was widespread even before the commander-in-chief put pen to paper, or or perhaps auto-penned it. But critics are continuing to condemn the legislation only two months after Obama approved it. 
So weary of the NDAA are lawmakers in Virginia, in fact, that a recent vote within the state's House of Delegates led to the passing of a counteract that will keep those detainment provisions out of Virginia. A recent meeting of lawmakers in the lower house of the Virginia General Assembly yielded an impressive 96-4 approval for House Bill 1160, a bill that will ban state officials from abiding by some elements of the NDAA. Should the act see similar support in the state Senate, Virginia will be spared from the detainment provisions that have garnered opposition against Congress and the Obama White House over the NDAA's passage. James, before I throw it back to you, my man Clyde Lewis of GroundZeroMedia.org from right here in Portland, Oregon, he put out a press release weeks ago, and I'll provide this in the show notes, top-rated Oregon talk show host calls for states to nullify NDAA using sort of nullification as as the key word, and now we see it. Absolutely, and just uh, let me use my powers of psychic prediction. Let, let me think, oh, how is the media going to portray this if and when they actually do? Oh, they're probably going to invent some term for it, like the, uh, the tenthers or the uh, nullifiers. Uh-oh, better watch out for these <laughs> pesky people who are trying to derail the political process. Um, this is a hopeful sign in so many ways because uh, the fundamental point of this story is that power is in the hands of the people and all they have to do is understand that and grasp it and use it instead of just sitting there rolling over and playing dead anytime the tyrants in Washington put what, whatever edicts out they want. We don't have to sit there and take it. So the people can and always do have the ultimate power and the, they're, the, they're the final arbiters of what happens or doesn't happen. And this is one way that that can happen for states to to nullify what's happening at the federal level and uh people who watched my recent report on the tsa my eye-opener report will know that the tsa came out when the texas house of representatives was talking about outlawing the tsa pat-downs and the tsa came out and said well the supremacy clause of the constitution means that the states can't nullify what the federal agencies are doing which of course was a total load of bunkum and uh there were so many constitutional scholars and and rights centers and others that came out in the wake of that blog post on the TSA saying that's total BS. Uh, no, absolutely, the states can do, can can say no to the federal government and things like this. So I, I don't see this as the end point or the final solution. I mean, oh great, you know, finally this, the states can control everything. But at at, at any rate, it points towards the, uh, the the truth of the matter, which is we don't have to be focused on Washington and the the political puppets in power at any given moment. We don't have to put all of our attention and all of our hopes and dreams in the 2012 election race. So team blue versus team red, who's going to win? It's not about that. It's about what the people will do or will not do. And that's ultimately where the power lies. So, so I think the ultimate aim is to get this down even further than the state level down to the local level. And in the wake of the Patriot Act, there were hundreds of city councils that passed uh, legislation that, uh, that said that that city wouldn't abide by the, the rules of the Patriot Act. So, so that's, again, another way to, to do this. If your state's not going to go for it, go at the local level and take the power back. What, you mean we're not all just helpless onlookers to this spectator sport of politics? That we're all not just passive victims of whatever piece of legislation these tyrants decide to pass next? Well, of course not. Of course not. If the Congress critters in Washington, D.C., or the Parliament pests in Ottawa, Canada, or the Diet... 
dorks in Tokyo, Japan, decide to pass some ridiculous piece of legislation, it doesn't mean that that becomes necessarily the law of the land and we all have to bow down before it. If the President of the United States declares the authority to cook and eat babies on the lawn of the White House, it doesn't make it so. And of course there are ways for us to put our foot down and to nullify those laws. Nullification, what an interesting word and one that has been very carefully excised from the political vocabulary of an entire generation. In fact, entire generations of citizens of many countries, but of course the one in which it perhaps is the most politically relevant, that is the United States, which has a very rich and very interesting history of nullification being used to stop oppressive legislation from oppressing the people. And yet, you don't really learn about this slice of American history in your uh, civics classes, assuming you even get civics classes anymore in the United States, do you? Well, let's start to take a look at this idea and where it comes from, because as I say, it is something that goes right back to the very founding of the United States itself. It is directly there in its constitution, and by constitution I mean its fabric, its nature, its genetic DNA, not that piece of paper that uh, alleges to, to be the document that is supposed to bind all of the 300 plus million people living in the United States, despite the fact that not a single one of them is a signatory to it. What a strange document indeed. But at any rate, nullification, the idea of the citizens putting their foot down and saying, hell no, is something that does go back very much to the founding of the country itself. And it goes back to no less a personage than Thomas Jefferson and James Madison in the Kentucky and Virginia Resolutions, which we will, of course, place the link in the show notes so you can go and read them for yourself. But in the meantime, let's get a bit of this history and inform ourselves about this very interesting and long-suppressed piece of the political puzzle by turning to a lecture from Thomas Woods. And for those who don't know Tom Woods at TomWoods.com, I suggest you check into him. Of course, he's the author of many best-selling books, including The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History, but he is also the author of a book called, appropriately enough, Nullification. So let's listen to a lecture that he gave uh, just last year, or two years ago, should that be, about the concept of nullification and its history and its political pedigree going back at least as far to Thomas Jefferson. So what is this thing? Well, to make a long story extremely short, it basically boils down to this. In 1798, we had some offensive legislation that was signed into law by John Adams called the Alien and Sedition Acts. I will dwell just for a moment only on the Sedition Act, which made it a crime to be critical of the president or the Congress, to be excessively critical. Now, notice they, they skipped over somebody. They skipped over the vice president, because at that time... The top vote-getter becomes the president. The second-place finisher becomes the vice president. So John Adams is the president, belonging to the Federalist Party. Thomas Jefferson is the vice president. He belongs to the Republican Party. The Federalists dominate the executive branch, the Congress, and the courts. So you can't criticize the president or the Congress, but they jump right over Thomas Jefferson, the vice president. You can say anything you want to about him under the law. So Jefferson thought, you know, look, I'm... I'm not really that stupid, right? I mean, like I see this is obviously a partisan measure designed to hurt my party. And sure enough, influential Republican newspaper editors were being tossed into, in jail. People making 
what by today's standards are astonishingly restrained comments about John Adams are being fined or imprisoned. There was a U.S. congressman from Vermont who went to jail. This is a guy who had fought in the American Revolution. He was sent to jail for saying something, again, totally harmless about John Adams. Although I am happy to report that the $1,000 fine he had to pay was actually paid for by his constituents who took up a collection for him and then proceeded to re-elect him for another term from jail. <laughs> Say, those are the Americans, okay? Those are the, you know, they, they are our forefathers. Those are the ones we need to remember and emulate. So Jefferson thought, well, I don't think you can just, I'm not going to say, look, it was fun having a constitutional government, but all good things must come to an end. I mean, something, we have to, something has to be done about this. What are we going to do? Well, we could wait two years for the next presidential election, but again, and I, I, I hate to say things that, that uh, fall outside that box, but you know, once in a while, you notice a presidential election doesn't yield you, you know, the results you might have been looking for. We'll just put it that way. So, and plus, by then, we might all be in jail. Like, we can't wait for two years. Well, it's ridiculous. Or we could refer this to the Supreme Court, right? Have the Supreme Court look at it. Well, the Supreme Court did not actually hear any cases pertaining to this, but if they had, they would have supported the Sedition Act because all the justices were appointed by Federalists. And, in fact, a good number of the states, including my home state of Massachusetts, said that the Sedition Law was most excellent. It's about time we have this thing to stop all these scurrilous things being said about our wise president. So, <laughs> good old Massachusetts, screwing up the country for 200 years. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Look, I'm so I, I come here from Massachusetts. I mean, I don't live in Massachusetts anymore, but boy, do we have a lot to answer for. So I don't want... People come to me and say, oh, I'm from such and such state, and I'm so sorry that we produce such and such politician, and I just sit there and feel like I, I can't even say a word. Like, what can I even say to these poor people? So, Jefferson, so what are we going to do? So, the Supreme Court is not going to work, but even if it would work in the sense that it might give you the ruling you want, from Jefferson's point of view, the, f the federal government is the problem. The Supreme Court is a branch of the problem. You don't refer a dispute like this between the states and the federal government to the federal government. It would be like you and I are having a dispute and I say, oh, I have just the impartial arbiter for this, my mother. <laughs> All right, she's a fair-minded, wonderful woman. And I'm not just saying this because I have no idea what YouTube channel this might wind up on someday. <laughs> but, you know, I wouldn't bet my life that she's going to vote against me. So Jefferson's view was, no, 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 the, the, the federal courts are a party to one of the sides. You know, like they're, they're one of the parties in this contest. You can't refer it to them. It doesn't even make sense. No, no, no. In this case, the states are the proper disputants. As the states confer among themselves and ask, did we intend to delegate this power to the federal government? Those are the proper disputants. And that was Jefferson's view. That was James Madison's view, as he wrote in the famous report of 1800, sometimes called the Virginia Report. He said, it's not the case, I'm paraphrasing, he said, it's not the case that our presidents are fallible, our congressmen are fallible, but our judges are divine. That's not our system. He says, to the contrary, all three branches can betray us. And so there needs to be a last resort mechanism when we've been betrayed by everybody. And that mechanism consists of the parties to the Constitution themselves, namely the states, having a last resort no. That's what Jefferson called nullification. He introduced that word into the American political vocabulary.
Now, when you are attacked and smeared for talking about nullification, I can almost guarantee you, it's not an ironclad guarantee, but it's like 90% guarantee that the people attacking you will not dare mention Thomas Jefferson's name. Because they know if people get the idea that Jefferson thought this, maybe it might give them ideas. Well, gee, Jefferson wasn't exactly a slouch. If Jefferson came up with this, maybe we might use this today. So therefore, Jefferson just falls out of the historical picture. No mention of him. But, you know, I like to just to drive them crazy, I'm just going to say, Jefferson, 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 it was his idea. Okay? So I don't care that it's the whole political class and the whole media class and that it's Rachel Maddow and Keith Olbermann, wherever he wound up, and, and Bill O'Reilly and all of them against Thomas Jefferson and me. I used to, you know, it's like me and Will Chamberlain scored two, you know, 102 points together. It's one of those things, you know, Jefferson's doing most of the legwork here. But I still feel like the odds are pretty good, and we got him in our corner. So Jefferson drafts the Kentucky Resolutions of 1798. Madison drafts the Virginia Resolutions of 1798. And they're basically saying the states have to do this. They're duty-bound, said Madison, duty-bound to interpose between the federal government and the people. He didn't say, well, you know, maybe they might think about interposing or it might be a good idea if it's a half moon or something. They're duty-bound to interpose. That's strong language. Now, in the year 1998, you would think there would have been a big celebration in Washington commemorating these documents. But you know what? Surprisingly, there was not a word. Not a word. We have to find out about them on our own. Once again, the always informed and informative Tom Woods of TomWoods.com. And I will, of course, urge you to look at the, that entire lecture in its totality because he does go on to talk even at greater length about even some of the backstory of this. Because for all of the anarchist ideological purists in the crowd, and I certainly hope there are some ideological purist anarchists in the crowd, you might be reeling and, and bristling at this uh, idea of nullification a little bit. Well, doesn't this lend credence to the idea of the Constitution? Isn't this ultimately just giving into that political paradigm whereby, oh, we have to bow down to the Constitution and what it says about what the government can and can't do? Well, no. In fact, uh, if you go back even a little bit further, although the idea, the actual explicit term nullification, nullifying, comes from those resolutions and does come from Thomas Jefferson, you can trace this back even 10 years prior to that, during the ratification of the Constitution, when skeptics of the Constitution itself were uh, basically raising the idea of nullification. They didn't call it that, so it's not expressly part of this political pedigree that leads back to Jefferson, but it is there in the in the debates that were being held at the time of the ratification of the Constitution itself. So an important piece of this political puzzle, one that has been withheld from us for obvious reasons, because it is a threat to the powers that shouldn't be. And on that note, well, how does this apply to our current situation? Well, it doesn't just apply with Virginia and the NDAA. It applies to things that are still happening right now and that are at the very heart of the political debate in Washington and everywhere around the world. That is to say, the abuses of the NSA. Fact. The new NSA data center in Utah requires 1.7 million gallons of water every single day to operate. Billions of Fourth Amendment violations need massive computers and the water to cool them. That water is being supplied by the state of Utah. Fact. 
There's absolutely nothing in the Constitution which requires your state to help the feds violate your rights. Our message to Utah? Turn it off. No water equals no NSA data center. Visit offnow.org. That's right, friends. The game is on and plans are afoot to turn the taps off on the NSA quite literally. A very exciting idea, and this is the idea of taking that historical concept of nullification and bringing it into today's political context. And this is exciting because this is one of those world historical times where we are history's actors and we will either help to see this idea pushed through and create the history textbooks of the future that will note the actions that we take today, or we will let it pass like all of the other opportunities and chances and solutions that come along. So a very exciting moment in time, and I would suggest people check out the campaign that is being organized around this idea to nullify the NSA. This is at offnow.org, offnow.org, and there you can read about this campaign and its organizers. It is being organized by the Tenth Amendment Center and the Bill of Rights Defense Center, along with a coalition of websites and organizations that are uh, helping to, to, uh, to get the word out out about this exciting opportunity. And it was my pleasure to recently talk to one of the people at the 10th Amendment Center, 10thamendmentcenter.com, Michael Meharry, about this idea of nullifying the NSA. Let's talk about a very specific issue and one that's definitely been in the news for the last several months, which is, of course, the, the NSA, the National Security Agency, and it's, uh, it's well, spying on everyone and pretty much everything that they do online. And this is obviously an issue of pressing importance for a lot of people out there, and a lot of people are concerned about this, but feel pretty helpless about, well, what can we possibly do about this? And on that very note, I understand that you're involved with the new campaign, Nullify the NSA. Let's talk about this campaign and what it's seeking to do. This thing has gotten huge. I'm really, really excited about this because the mainstream media has picked up on it. And just today, we actually had the first state legislator officially say that she was going to run our Fourth Amendment Protection Act in the state of Arizona. And essentially what we've got is we've got a coalition of folks called the Off Now Coalition, and it's – not only the 10th Amendment Center, but also a number of other groups, including uh, the Bill of Rights Defense Committee, Antiwar.com, Downsize DC, and a number of state and local groups as well. And we all came together, and we basically had that same feeling that you just mentioned. You know, what do we do about this? We we get this every single day. It seems like a new revelation comes out about what the NSA is doing, and it's gotten to the point that it's almost not even surprising anymore. Like, oh yeah, yeah, Snowden revealed this today, you know, and. So we were looking at it, and quite frankly, believing that Washington, D.C. is going to do anything to stop this is is pretty futile. We've got Dianne Feinstein. She's the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. She's all for this. You know, you've got uh, Representative King, and he's all for it, and they go along and they do their uh, national security dog and pony show. So we don't have much faith in Congress doing anything, and we're not willing to wait on the judges. And, of course, the judges at the federal level t- tend to defer to federal power when it comes to national security. So we started thinking about it. It's like, okay, what can we do? How can we deal with this at another level? And we actually used James Madison's blueprint in Federalist 46. And James Madison said, when the federal government commits an unwarrantable act, 
or even a warrantable act that happens to be unpopular, he said that the states have some things that they can do to reel in that federal power. And one of the things that he mentioned in that blueprint was to refuse cooperation with officers of the union. So we started to think about it, and we're like, okay, how do the states cooperate with the NSA in spying on us? And as we did some research, we found out that there are numerous ways that the NSA does this. So we came up with this piece of model legislation called the Fourth Amendment Protection Act, and it, it basically addresses four main areas. I'm going to run through them real quick. First thing it does is it prohibits the state from providing any material support to the NSA. And by material support, I mean pretty much anything physical or tangible. The best example is Utah. We know Utah has this giant data center. We know that this data center uses a lot of water. In fact, they say that when it's fully operational, operational, it will use about 1.7 million gallons of water every single day. Well, interestingly enough, the city of Bluffdale, Utah, supplies that water, which is the subdivision of the state of Utah. So if Utah were to pass this law, the state would have some control over the political subdivision that is under it and be able to say, you know what, either this contract is voided because it is uh, actually supporting something that is an illegal activity or uh, – even worst case scenario, once the contract is up, it wouldn't be renewed. So that's the first aspect of it. The second aspect would prohibit the state from using any data that's collected unconstitutionally without a warrant, without probable cause from being used in state court. So we know that the NSA uses some of this data and they share it with uh, local law enforcement, primarily for this war on drugs. So the state wouldn't be able to use that in a prosecuting a case unless it was gathered with a warrant and with probable cause. Third thing it does is it deals with universities. We have 166 universities in the United States that are partners with the NSA. They call them national centers of excellence, which I think is a great Orwellian term. And so this bill would say, if you're a state university and you have this partnership, we're going to cut your funding. We're going to encourage you to disband these partnerships. And then the final piece of the puzzle is that it deals with corporations who might do business with the NSA, say a private utility who provides electricity. The state could say, you know, the state can't go in and say, well, you can't do this, but they can say, okay, if you're going to do business with the NSA, you're not going to do business with anybody uh, in the state or local government. You won't be able to bid contracts. So these four things together, we hope, will provide uh, impediments and obstructions to the NSA, especially if we can get a number of states to work together and pass this bill. And maybe that will get their attention. Well, I, I certainly hope so. And as you say, in places like Utah, where it's particularly strategic, one would imagine that would very much get their attention if it were to be passed. And uh, it, given Utah's importance there uh, as as the home for that data center, um, have you made any prog progress with any of the state legislators there? Actually, we have. Uh, I mentioned already that we have a legislator in Arizona who is committed to running this legislation. We have legislators in Washington State and in Utah that have both uh, tentatively agreed to run the legislation. They've not filed it officially, so we're not announcing their names and we're not making that, you know, we're not saying it's absolutely in stone because we recognize the fragility of the political process. But we're like at the 90% level that those two states will run the legislation. And then we have several other states that we believe are going to get on board too, and we're actively at this point uh, reaching out to legislators across the United States. And, you know, we, we, 
very confidently expect at least five states to run this legislation early in the uh, 2014 session and expect that the momentum will build as more and more people realize that, hey, this is viable. You know, it's it's interesting. I've been talking to reporters, actually uh, talked to several today, and the the tenor of this is relatively friendly. You know, a lot of times when you start talking about nullification and, uh, you know, we've dealt with this with the Second Amendment Protection Act and, and dealing with the Health Care Act, and you get kind of a, a little bit of a negative feedback from reporters, but dealing with the NSA, say they're not real big on the spy machine either so i'm really confident that the combination of uh, positive media exposure and most importantly the grassroots effort that's going to be behind this and the fact that people don't want to be spied on they want to do something about it i think this is going to be an effective campaign i really do well, I, I echo that sentiment. I think if it's going to work, it's going to have to be, I think, a grassroots type movement. Um, and on that note, if people out there in the United States who are listening or watching uh, this conversation are interested in this, what can they actually do to help uh, co- coerce or convince their state uh, legislators to get on board? We've got three steps that we would love anybody here in the United States to take. Uh, the first step is go to offnow.org, O-F-F-N-O-W.org. And if you go to that website, first off, you'll find all kinds of information about the campaign, about NSA spying. Uh, You will also find our model legislation there. You can download it, send it to your state senator, send it to your state representative, say, hey, please consider sponsoring this in my state. Uh, The more people that do that, the more likelihood we have to get this introduced in multiple states. A second thing we really want people to do, and this is even easier, is simply spread the word. If you're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, just post the offnow.org link and let people know that this is going on. We want people to know that, hey, you don't have to call your congressman. You don't have to wait for Diane Feinstein to do whatever she has to do to get out of Washington, D.C., which will probably never happen. You have some things you can do at the grassroots level, at your state level, and we want people to know that this information. So that's an extremely important thing. And then finally, if you're part of a group, if you're part of an organization, if you're part of a grassroots effort, please pass along the off now information and consider becoming a local partner with this. And there's some information on the website that would show you how to do that. And we would encourage people internationally as well. Check out the website and get involved. This strategy is multi-pronged. The legislation is just one part of it. And another thing that we really want to do is we want to develop ways to put pressure on the U.S. government to stop this spying. And I, if I lived in a foreign country, especially a friendly foreign country, quote-unquote, I would be very concerned because we know that the NSA is spying on you too. I have no doubt that they're gathering all kinds of information on people in Japan and everywhere else in the world that people might see this video. So you can get involved too. You know, there are ways to, uh, to make this information known, share it widely, uh, do whatever you can do to make it known that you do not support the United States spying on the world. So what has the, uh, the response been to this campaign so far? The, the sponsors, response has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, we, it's, it's, I mentioned earlier, it's a very broad-based political coalition, and so we're getting support from both the left and the right. The senator in Arizona that's running the legislation is a Republican, but we've gotten a lot of support from legislators who are on the other side of the aisle as Democrats. We've gotten a lot of interest in the coalition from people that are in the environmental movement simply because they look at the amount of resources that's being squandered. And it's interesting. I just saw a blurb today, and I haven't had time to really read it and research it, but it's talking about how the city of Salt Lake City is concerned about 
running out of water, and Bluffdale happens to be in that same area, and you've got the NSA using 1.7 million gallons of water a day. So, you know, those type of things really get people frustrated and upset. So the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Really, the only negative responses that we've, we've gotten are the people that say, well, it'll just, you know, it'll never work. And I just don't have time for that kind of negativity. It may not work, but it's certainly not going to work if we don't do something. And part of the beauty of this is that it is multi-state and it's multi-pronged. So if the denying water doesn't work, at least we still have the opportunity of, of getting some of this data out of the system and, and keeping them from using it to you know, lock up poor person who happens to have a joint in his pocket or something. And we can put pressure on corporations not to do business with the NSA, and we can put pressures on universities. And another thing we want to do is actually go to the university level and get students involved. And if their school is one of these NSA centers for academic excellence, we want them to protest to their administration and, and actually pass student government resolutions saying, we don't want this on our campus. So there's a lot of things that, that can be done. And the neat thing about it is it's not just one thing. So, you know, if, if it fails in one state or it fails in one aspect, we hope that there will be other states and other aspects of it that will succeed. There it is, friends. Michael Meharry of the Tenth Amendment Center. And once again, the uh, the website for the Nullify the NSA campaign, offnow.org, where you can go and read more about this exciting plan to turn the taps off on the NSA Something that would be a wonderful victory if it could be done. And, well, maybe it can't. But if the worst that we can say about this plan is that it might fail, is that really the reason that we should all just sit on the sidelines and let it fail? I think this is an exciting opportunity for the American citizenry to really take some of the power back into their own hands and in doing so to revive this important political tool of nullification, one that has been lost to the sands of time on purpose because it is threatening to the status quo, one that can be revived again. There's a lot more to be said about this idea of nullification, how it has been applied in the past, but I will leave you to explore the sources that we've cited today, as well as a conversation that I had with Tom Woods on Corbett Report Radio on this very subject in the past. Again, I think this is a topic that is ripe for exploration and explanation, and hopefully people will use this as the starting point for their own research on this topic. Once again, putting our foot down and saying hell no when it comes to some of this tyrannical legislation, and the people in the United States are particularly well poised to do so because there is that political tradition going right back to the founding of the country itself something that is not part of the historical political pedigree of, well, any other nation that I know of uh, specifically. So it can be done, and hopefully it will be done in the case of the NSA. Certainly no agency is more fitting right now for the uh, the taps to be turned off and the, uh, the electricity to be turned off as well. So we'll see what comes of this. And once again, I invite you to do your own research and inform me about that research as you do so. Once again, you can always contact me through the contact form at CorbettReport.com with the proviso that I can't respond to everyone who writes in. I'm sorry about that, but I do appreciate the information that comes in through there. Uh, on that note, of course, this was a regular edition of the podcast, as you have known it in the past, but next week will be another one of the podcast-umentaries, this one about the Federal Reserve, the 100th anniversary of the Federal Reserve Act, coming up later this month. So we're going to be having a very interesting, I hope, podcast-umentary on that subject, so I hope you will join me for that. Once again, please subscribe to the RSS feeds 
at CorbinReport.com to stay up to date with everything. And just a reminder that for the month of December, anyone who buys one of the Data DVDs, Data DVD Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, any one of those, you will get a free one-year subscription to the Corbett Report subscriber newsletter as my Christmas gift to all of you. So I do appreciate the support that comes in, and once again, I'm hoping that I'll be talking to you again very soon. Welcome, friends. James Corbett, CorbettReport.com, coming to you from the increasingly frigid climes of Western Japan. And today I'm reporting live on the scene from the corridors of crass commercialism, aka the shopping mall. And for those of you out there wondering, yes, Japan, just like whatever country you're in back home, has these meccas of mass merchandising where people flock at this time of year to buy the useless gugads and gadgets and, and other uh, useless items that we have been trained uh, to believe are the only ways of showing one's love for one's fellow uh, uh, friends and family at this time of year during the holiday season. So here I am uh, in the uh, right in the heart of the Christmas madness and so I thought I'd show you some of the Christmas uh, garbage that's for sale at the shopping malls here in Japan. It's pretty much the same as uh, back home in Canada or wherever you might be. Um, and that is a sad testament to the fact that the commercialization of global, global culture continues to spread like a cancer around the world. But there are ways of combating this, and I would like to suggest a couple of them to you today. Of course, I'm in the alternative media, and I'm in the business of trying to provide people with information that they can actually use to make informed decisions about their lives. If you value this more so than the crap that they're selling you in these shopping malls, then why not skew these shopping malls and actually use our power to vote with our dollars for the alternative media. It doesn't necessarily have to be the corporate report, it could be whatever independent alternative media you choose to support. And uh, of course all of my material is completely 100% freely available for download, so if, uh, if you want you can download it yourself, make DVDs, send out email links, however you want to get this information out, I'm all for getting the information. Of course if you do want to support uh, me and the work that I'm doing, then one of the best ways to do it a win-win situation is to buy one of my DVDs, uh, several of them for sale, of course, on CorbettReport.com. And it's a win-win situation because not only do I get your support, but you also get something out of the deal. And instead of giving someone some useless gugad for uh, Christmas, you can give them something that actually matters, some information. So why not give one of these as a gift? And uh, let's make it a win-win-win situation. We'll add one more win to the mix. Uh, for the month of December, anyone who buys one of my data DVDs will get a free one-year subscription to the Corbett Report subscriber newsletter. Letter. So once again, I want to thank all of you guys out there for making this alternative independent media possible. And this year, why don't we give the gift of truth rather than the gift of garbage, uh, slave-made Chinese factory goods. And on that note, uh, that's going to be it for me for today. But thank you so much for listening. Talk to you later.